Good morning and happy Sabbath. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be here. Amen. Out in nature. Just the way the Lord liked to teach. Out in nature. Um, I want to start with a word of prayer. So let's just bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we have to be together. We know that we live, Lord, in times that are strange. We know that uh, this world is fading, it's breaking apart, and the people in this world are losing their minds. And Lord, we don't want to be with them, we want to be with you. We want to be uh, sound, we want to have love in our hearts, and we want to be able to present this gospel in such a way that uh, it will arrest people's attention. Lord, we ask that you would please forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, place our sins upon Jesus, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And we ask, Father, for that wonderful gift. Please impute the righteousness of Jesus into our accounts in heaven and impart the righteousness of Jesus into our soul temples. Surround us with your holy angels, Lord. Warm our hearts. Draw us closer to you and to each other. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I've entitled this three-day uh, morning manna, Arise and Shine. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about why I've chosen this. Several years ago, around 2017, I was looking, I was searching, my heart was thirsting and hungering for something that I didn't have. I was tired of living a half-hearted Christian life. Anybody ever been there? Where you just get to the point where it just, it's just, what's, what's going on here? What's the use? What's going on? Why am I like this? Why am I continually failing? Why can't I gain victory? And so I was studying and reading different uh, books and the Bible and then one morning my wife came up to me and she said Norm listen to this and uh, this is what it read the thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us not because of any merit on our part but as a free gift from God is a precious thought the enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented for he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be broken. And I said to her, read that again? And she read it again. That's exactly what I was looking for. I don't want to be under the power of Satan anymore. We are in this thing to gain victory. We don't want to be Christians who only know how to receive forgiveness. We want to be Christians who know how to receive forgiveness and know how to gain victory through the power of Christ. And this is what I was looking for. That's from Faith I Live By, page 111, um, paragraph 6. And I'm going to probably put some sort of a link on Dropbox so that you can get all of these notes if you'd like. Uh, I'll share that with you at some point throughout the camp meeting. Another uh, statement, Satan is constantly at work, but few have any idea of his activity and subtlety. The people of God must be prepared to withstand the wily foe. It is this resistance that Satan dreads. 
He knows better than we do the limit of his power and how easily he can be overcome if we resist him and face him. Through divine strength, the weakest saint is more than a match for him and all his angels. And if brought to the test, he would prove, the Christian would prove, his power superior. Therefore, Satan's steps are, is noiseless, his movements stealthy, and his batteries masked. He does not venture to show himself openly, lest he arouse a Christian's dormant energies and send him to God in prayer. Five Testimonies, 293, paragraph 4. When John says, we love him because he first loved us, and I began to experience this beautiful truth of righteousness by faith, I could understand what he meant. The Word of God opened up to me. The Spirit of God began to transform me in a way that I had never been transformed before. <clears throat> and then this verse in Romans 10.10, 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I began to understand that, that the work of righteousness by faith is a work of the heart. Many of us have a lot of head knowledge. Many of us can answer the questions that the pastor or whoever speaking asks. Oh, I have the answer. And we're, we're quick to give answers. But when somebody comes to us and says to you, I have an illness, I'm dying, and I need help, I think I'm lost. Please tell me how to be <coughs> saved. What can I do to be saved? What do I need to do? And from our experience, what can we tell them? Can we give them exactly what they need so that they can have full assurance? Or are they going to go away from us in despair? So this is why it's important. This is why the Lord gave us this message, so that we could have assurance, we could have power, and we have the capacity to love people like no other people. The verse is in Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. This glory is his righteousness. This glory is His Holy Spirit dwelling within us, moving us, and being able to shine out so that others will see this beautiful character of our loving Father and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. John 1 verses 4 and 5 says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Light always has the same source. And we're told that there's no darkness in it at all, but we don't under always understand it, nor do we always embrace the light. It also comes in different phases, just like the sun moves. In Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, Jesus shed prophetic light 
on the future of the temple, Jerusalem, and the world. And he said, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus was telling them that this institution, this temple, this whole operation that was set up for education, for the glory of God, for atonement, was to come to an end. And it would be forsaken of God. And as he said in his parting days, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, became a reality. There would now be a new way of worship, a new and better atonement, and a transforming education from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said these very words, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The worship of the Father had degraded to human worship with doctrines of men and human works. There was no love. There was just cold formalism. Everybody was just walking around, pointing at others and saying, look, he's doing this, and look, they're doing that. It was all about judging people and how holy one could look. But the heart was empty, cold, and dead. After the disciples asked when this would happen, when the end of the world would come, the Bible says, And Jesus said, Jesus answered and said unto him, Take no heed, take, sorry, take heed that no man deceive you. This was a warning given for all times, not just for then, especially now, because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The light that would come from these people would be pleasing to the carnal heart. People will accept darkness as light and reject the true light. We need to take Jesus' warning to heart. We should not think that any of us are above being deceived. That's something we need to be careful about. Jesus did give the warning for a reason. Because it's quite possible that no matter how much we know, we can be deceived. It's not just about what we know. It's what is in here, who we know, and what is within us. Who is within us? As we prepare for the days of trouble we have that have begun, and which will get more intense, we also need to be prepared for uh, the strong delusions. There are going to be miracles that are going to be done right in front of us. Spirit of Prophecy says that he'll be able to call down lightning right in front of our faces. Are you ready to be able to withstand that? Are you going to be able to stand and say no? Because our emotions, our senses are going to be overwhelmed. And we're going to need what Jesus needs. It is written. The storm is coming. The storm will try every man's faith of what sort it is. Believers must now be firmly rooted in Christ, 
or else they will be led astray by some, by some phase of error. Evangelism, page 361, paragraph 4. Do you see this happening today? Have you heard of anybody in our church who are believing the strangest doctrines, the things that you look at them and you go, how in the world can you believe something like that? Yet people are holding on to this for dear life and calling you lost if you don't believe these strange things that they believe. It's just amazing the amount of deception that people are grasping as truth. And you just wonder why. We should have been building our bodies and our minds and our spirits for a long time. We shouldn't be where we are. We have fallen way behind in our health message. The world, is, as you know, the world has grabbed on to most of our health message and they're proclaiming it with power. The people must not be left to stumble their way along in darkness, not knowing what is before us before them, and unprepared for the great issues that are coming. There is a work to be done for this time in fitting a people to stand in the day of trouble, and all must act their part in this work. They must be clothed with the righteousness of Christ and be so fortified with the truth that the delusions of Satan shall not be accepted by them as genuine manifestations of the power of God. There are two areas here of vulnerability that I want to bring out in that statement. Number one, we can be led astray by doctrinal errors. We need to know the truth. We need to study the Word of God, know it and be able to explain it to other people without hesitation. We need to know them. Uh, if we don't, when the problem comes up or temptation comes up, we won't be able to say, it is written. And if we can't say it is written, what do you think is going to happen to us? We're going to fall. We're going to fail. If we're not firmly rooted and grounded in Christ, we will be deceived. The times that are coming are not going to be easy. The hatred that people are going to have for us is what's going to affect us the most. We're used to, in this society, not offending anybody. Treat everybody with kid gloves and be kind and loving. Give everybody what they want. Just make everybody feel good. And when that turns around and focuses completely on you and every step that you take is pointed out to you and you're hated and become the off-scouring of the earth, we're told, we have to be prepared to withstand that kind of rejection. It's not going to be easy. Because it's going to come from those who love you and those you love. It's going to come from family, friends, people you would never think. It's going to come and it's going to be tough. Point two is that we're, we can be led astray by the delusions of Satan. Lack of preparation or per, poor preparation for the miracles that will be performed will make our trials overwhelming and our loyalty to God and our faith in Him will fail us. We need to be ready. We may sit here now and say, this will never happen to me. I'll be overcome. When these miracles come and when this stuff comes, I've got it. No problem. 
Anybody hear of a man named Peter? Right? We need to be very careful about what we think we know. And Spirit of Prophecy tells us that if we get in a position where we have to explain our faith, many of us will be surprised at how little we know and how uh, confused our ideas are in trying to explain the truth. So we need to have that. And I believe with all my heart that the very first step in this whole process, this whole experience of being God's children is to learn and understand and live the experience of righteousness by faith. That is going to guide us through. Without that, we will fail. Guaranteed. Right? Because righteousness by faith is not just some teaching that we learn. It is an experience. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is the power of God revealed in us by the Holy Spirit. Everyone must act their part in the work of fitting up a people to stand. This means that we must come together in our homes, in our churches, in the community, and build up anyone who wants to hear. Reading, studying, memorizing scripture, singing praises to our Lord, living the truth in joy, right? We don't want to be these sad ventists, as we're called, or sad people, Christians who can't smile and are upset at everything and pointing out and judging. We don't, that, that's not, that's not going to work. It's not going to help us. We must also share the truths we've received and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Bible study and medical missionary work is to be done. We understand, most of us do, that there's going to come a time when the work in ministerial lines will no longer be uh, uh, practical. It won't be, you won't be able to do it. It's going to be medical missionary work. So this is a good um, time to learn these things. We must, we read that we must be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. This is the most precious truth, as it's called in the spirit of prophecy, which is actually an experience with Christ and our Father, which is in heaven, but sadly is hidden to many people. It is the fulfillment of the worshiping of the Father in spirit and in truth. To experience this, we must comply with the requirements of God. As we do this, we will not fail or fall short of the glory of God. This is from the Review and Herald, November 22nd, 1892. If you would stand through the time of trouble, you must know Christ and appropriate the gift of, the, of His righteousness, which He imputes to the repentant sinner. Two things are needed to stand through the time of trouble. From the beginning right through to the end, we must know Christ personally and appropriate His righteousness. This quote also lets us know who will be clothed with Christ's righteousness. Did you catch who it would be? The repentant sinner. And only the repentant sinner. If you're not a repentant sinner, you're not going to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's that simple. This is a truth that we need to understand, and this is a truth that Satan's been trying to hide for years. Why? Because he knows that if people receive this message fully, his power will be broken. There's been a lot of messages preached in this church and all other churches about love and forgiveness, but people tend to 
step back when it comes to repentance. Tomorrow I'm going to speak specifically about repentance. Today is just sort of a, an introduction to ourselves according to how God views us, our condition. Because in order to repent, if you don't know your condition as broken, why are you going to repent, right? Uh, two things are needed to stand through the time of trouble. Okay, I made that already. Um, the problem that we have today is that many of us don't think that we're sinners. And we don't think that we need to repent. And the reason for that is because of what we know. Because of what we do. Our dedication. We watch, we're careful. We don't just live our Christian life haphazardly. We're sincere about it. And we think that by doing that, that we don't need to repent. Maybe the world is backslidden. Maybe some half-hearted Adventist who doesn't know Christ. But I know Him. And I know the truth. But Jesus has some light for us to reason through. He says... So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. And as we hear these words, we have an idea that the true witness has the right to look at us and say, that is you. And we should say, that is me. That is me. Unless every one of us, or any one of us, can stand up and say, I am perfect, I am sinless, I will never fall, then these words don't apply to you. But I, I don't think anybody would, would claim to do that. We, we are not that deceived. All of us want to look good. That's, that's one thing. We want to be able to present the gospel to people and we want to be able to show them that we understand the Bible. We want them to know that we love God. So when it comes to admitting that we're sinners, this kind of detracts from our dignity, sort of like, you know, and we don't want to do that because it'll lessen my influence. If I tell people that I did this and I did that, or if I have to apologize to them, maybe they won't think that I sinned against them. And we make all of these excuses. But you know what? One of the most precious things about righteousness by faith is that when we confess and forsake our sins, they are taken off of us and placed upon Jesus. And if we don't go through that process of repentance and confession and forsaking our sins, our sins remain on us. And this is exactly what Satan wants. Because if we do that, we are left powerless without the Holy Spirit until our names come up in the books of record in heaven and we see, or Christ sees, sins unrepented of. And guess what happens when he sees that? Names are accepted and names are rejected. So repentance is a beautiful opportunity while probation is still open for us to cleanse ourselves of all sin and all unrighteousness. When we realize that Jesus is speaking to us personally 
And his words sting our hearts. It's a sobering thought and can be devastating. I remember that years ago I had that experience and I was reading through that and I said, that's me. That's me he's talking about. And I thought it was a strange experience that I had. I'll share it with you. Is there a specific food that you don't like and that if somebody tried to make you eat, you would throw up, you would gag? Okra. Okra. <laughs> I heard a couple of okras. Well, when I was a young boy, my parents used to try to get to, me to eat liver. I could not, there's no, not a chance. As soon as I would bite down in it, I couldn't. They would keep on and keep on and keep on. I just, I can't do it. And then I thought, the way that I felt about that liver is how Jesus feels about me. Oh, that hit home. And this is what he's saying to us. You have become, we have become so distasteful that he wants to vomit us out of his mouth. We don't want to be in that situation. And we don't want to deny that we are and we don't want to deceive ourselves in thinking that we're not in that situation. We need to look at ourselves seriously. The spirit of prophecy tells us, condemn yourselves, inspect yourself, look at yourself as you truly are. Don't spare a moment, don't spare a word. What you are and what you see, confess it. Repent of it and seek God for strength and help. We have a natural tendency, though, when this happens, to reform without revival. So we start doing all the good things. We go home, we take all the stuff that's in our cupboards and fridge and throw it all out. Books that we don't like, we throw them out. And we, we, we have an outward reformation, but the heart is still human. The heart is trying to do the best it can so that it will be acceptable to God. That's not what he's looking for. And that will fail us. The Bible says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And the spirit of prophecy has a beautiful quote here I want to share with you. I'll tell you where it's from after I finish reading it. The religious services, the prayers, the praise, the penitent confession of sin ascend from true believers as incense to the heavenly sanctuary. So who is this talking about? True believers. The true believers, all right? That would be you and I. We can be safe to, to say that, all right? But passing through the corrupt channels of humanity, they are so defiled that unless purified by blood, they can never be of value with God. They ascend not in spotless purity, unless the intercessor who is at God's right hand presents and purifies all by his righteousness, it is not acceptable to God. So everything and all that we can do unless it's purified by Christ, is of no value with, with God for us. It holds no weight. That's a different thought, isn't it? Continuing on. She says, 
but passing through the corrupt channels of humanity, this tells us that we may be sincere, but unless Christ is our righteousness, our spiritual exercises are worthless, meaning our religious services are refused, our prayers are not heard, our praise is not fit, and our confessions are without effect. Therefore, we are left in the same condition as the common sinner. If everything that I do is tainted with sin, then I'm no different from anybody else. This light is unwelcomed to the, to the carnal mind, right? We don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. It's actually good news. Continuing on with that quote, all incense, that would be our prayers, from earthly tabernacles must be moist with the cleansing drops of the blood of Christ. He holds before the Father the censer of his own merit in which there is no taint of earthly corruption. He gathers into this censer the prayers, the praise, the confessions of his people, and with these he puts his own spotless righteousness. Then, perfumed with the merits of Christ's propitiation, the incense comes up before God, holy and entirely acceptable. Then gracious answers are returned. So after hearing this, we can say, unless Christ is our righteousness, then we simply are the description of what we read in Revelation 3, the Laodicean church. There's more light that he has for us. This, I remember reading this, and this is a statement when I read it, I say, I give up. There's nothing I can do. Some who come to God by repentance and confession and even believe that their sins are forgiven still fail of claiming, as they should, the promises of God. They do not see that Jesus is an ever-present Savior and they are not ready to commit the keeping of their soul to Him, relying upon Him to perfect the work of grace begun in their hearts. While they think they are committing themselves to God, there is a great deal of self-dependence. There are conscientious souls that trust partly to God and partly to themselves. They do not look to God to be kept by His power, but depend upon watchfulness against temptation and the performance of certain duties for acceptance with Him. There are no victories in this kind of faith. Such persons toil to no purpose, their, soils are in continual, their souls are in continual bondage, and they find no rest until their burdens are laid at the feet of Jesus. What hit me was the watchfulness against temptation, because that's what we're supposed to do. And per performing certain duties, that's what we're supposed to do. But doing those things are not going to help us. And that's what hit me. It's like, wow. There's nothing I can do. Nothing. It's all from Christ. Well, what do these things teach us? Well, if we reason from cause to effect, we can conclude that I don't have to depend on my own works to please God. That's a good way of looking at this. Because I am a sinner and my works are worthless, I don't have to prove my goodness because I have none. I don't have to cry anymore because I can't get the victory over my personal sins. God has made a way for us to be clean and victorious. It's very simple. 
James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. This makes me want to repent. Repentance is a beautiful gift. It's something that we cannot do. We don't have the capacity to repent. Just like we don't have the capacity to believe unto, unto righteousness. Both are gifts from God. So, I'm going to make an appeal that you make a choice from this day forward to open your hearts to the Lord so that you will be more ready to repent. When you are convicted, repent. When you have an argument with your loved one, be quick to say, I'm sorry. Be quick to say, please forgive me. Even though you don't feel like it and you might be very well right and that person is wrong, you know how hard that is. You're wrong. You deserve it. But my spirit was wrong. Right? It's my spirit should be kept under the control of the Holy Spirit no matter what comes to me. Just like Christ. So if, even if the person is wrong, because if you can't treat your loved one with that kind of love, what are you going to do when you're attacked? What kind of Christ are you going to show then? None. So open your hearts to the Lord. And if you want to make that commitment that you're going to open your heart to the Lord this morning, please just go ahead and raise your hand. Praise God. Well, this morning's devotion was designed to bring us an awareness of our condition. And tomorrow morning, we're going to look at what Christ does for us once we acknowledge our condition and see our need of Him as our personal Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for blessing us with that eye salve that we can see. We thank you for providing for us a robe. We thank you for providing for us gold. And it's free for us, Lord. Teach us how we can grasp these things and hold on to them and then share them with others. Please bless us, Lord, throughout the remainder of this day that all glory would be to you, that this Sabbath day would be a high Sabbath day for us and a joy for you. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.